Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said one or two times, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can be spending our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. It can be hard to know what to play next. Uh, and I guess that's the purpose of this podcast, to talk about the games that either uh, my guests and I have enjoyed playing or have they've written, if I'm lucky enough to have an author on, um, or just talk about great big industry events that happen or events that people play in. And today is going to be a really fun and interesting one. Now, I do need to introduce our guests in a second, but I do want to say that we are going to talk about an event, um, an event for a game that has rarely been talked about on this podcast, uh, a game that has you know massive worldwide appeal uh, and is played pretty much everywhere. But it's also to talk with uh, a regular guest um, and a brand new guest. And I'm really excited. So let me bring our guests on and we can talk about why I'm so excited to have them on today. Um, you will know our first guest as a reoccurring guest of this show and prior shows that I've done. He's been on the Warlord cast. He has been on the LRDG. He has been all over the joint. Um, and he is probably one of the guys I've played most often in recent years. Of course, I'm talking about Lee. Lee, welcome back to Gas Dice. Thank you, Brad. Now, I did forget this time to include that you are one of the most analytical yet fun guys to play I know. Um, so, yeah. How, is, uh, how are things, my good man? Yeah, going well. Been uh, getting a few games in, not as many as normal lately. Mm -hmm. um, moved, moved house last month, so that mm -hmm. sort of disrupted things as far as packing and unpacking and just general disruption. But... Back into the swing, had a couple of games the last few weeks, bit of bolt action, bit of uh, yes. Warhammer 40k kill team last mm -hmm. night, and uh, been doing a little bit of hobby, just some painting. Yeah, um, man. Stuff's looking good. Looking good. Mm. Nice. Now, uh, the other guest that we have is, uh, now this is going to be fun because you are actually in the same room as your guest, and I am way on the other side of the city. Now, the reason that you're in the same room is, of course, that you live with our other guest, and more than that, you are married to her. Uh, of course, I am talking about Lee's longtime wonderful wife. Um, and friend of the show has uh, has been in the background before, but is now going to be an actual guest, um, longtime gamer herself, Libby. Welcome to Cast Ice. Thanks very much, Brad. I'm not sure if we're long time married. It's been just over a year, but we're getting there. Right. Sorry, I said that wrong. <laughs> but you've been together for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, no, quite right, quite right. And um, thank you for the wedding invite. It was lovely. Uh, now, let's talk about you as a gamer, because... Um, one of the really cool things, if I can bring up your wedding, was um, you guys are both very physically active. You are very active with your gym, um, and that is a community that you're part of. Uh, you are also very active as gamers, um, and you're very active in your business work community as well. And so there was sort of three very slightly overlapping but very different sort of circles to the Venn diagram to the wedding. Um, and as I don't know if you guys had necessarily noticed being at the front of the room, but being sort of standing in the middle, right where those groups, because it was a bit like a high school dance where the groups were standing separately, um, but next to one another. 
Um, your vows were wonderful because you had gaming references, you had um, references to your athletics, and then references to your business, and you could hear people, you know, making noises of appreciation and chuckling when they got the inside joke for each part. Um, and you referenced all, but you could hear some of the um, the CrossFitters in the corner going, I don't get it. And then someone else was like, it's a gaming thing. And it was it was one of the funnest weddings, um, especially the vows um, that, you know, my wife and I chuckled through it. And it was great. Um, and that was really cool that both of you are so into gaming um, and are, you know, the kind of gamers that I'd love to play. You You play to, you know, you play to win, but you're also fun. You don't take it too seriously and you have a good time. So I guess what I'm asking is, um, Libby, clearly you got into gaming before Lee. So what is your pedigree as a gamer? Well, I originally played RuneScape when I was probably late teens, early 20s. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was really my only on the computer, the multiplayer online RPG. Yeah. And that was really my only exposure to gaming at that point in time. Mm -hmm. I think um, after I met Lee, we started to play board games together. Mm -hmm. And then we might have done a few sessions where people came over and we played board games together. And I was like, wow, I really like playing board games. Mm -hmm. And then we went to that. This yeah. was really early on in our relationship. Um, so I had really done online gaming. I've never really done any physical paper-based gaming. Mm -hmm. And um, what's that? Izakaya, what's it called? Izakaya Chuji. Yeah, mm -hmm. and we did the, where you could get the Japanese food and play the board games on a Tuesday yes. night. That's a really cool little joint. And it we um, went there a few times and I really enjoyed that as well. So I feel like after I met Lee, it sort of brought me out of my gaming shell in a way because before that I was maybe a closet gamer. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, but then you picked up a game past board games. I guess the board games were the gateway drug, so to speak, that got you into something that has sort of turned into, um, well, not sort of, is absolutely one of your main hobbies. Um, and yeah, something definitely. that you've literally, the two of you just traveled across the world to play. And I got the feeling from talking to Lee that it was a lot more to do with your competing and him keeping you company um, just to sort of go and play and have a good time himself. But it, the reason you were going was because you wanted to play Magic yeah, in Las Vegas. Yeah, it was definitely a... Um... I'll just say to carry the drinks. And... <laughs> yeah. So we went to... So I played Magic the Gathering. Mm -hmm. I got into it mostly because I love board gaming. Yeah. And we're at one of Lee's mate's houses up in Wangaratta. This was years ago, maybe four years ago. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, Libby likes board gaming. Has she ever tried Magic? And Lee shut it down and was like, no, she hasn't. And I was like, oh, what's magic? <laughs> so I thought, I need to investigate this a little bit further. And we used to go into, I used to go into games like when Lee was painting or playing there sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I saw all the magic cards and I got a little bit interested. So then I did some reading and then I went to the store and they gave me a beginner's deck because mm -hmm. the first hit is free. That's right. And, um, yeah, and then it just escalated from there rather rapidly um, to the point that we went to Vegas earlier this year for the GP over there, which is the biggest magic event in the world annually. 
So how many players are we talking? Because, you know, in Australia, we think, um, you know, 200 players at CanCon for Age of Sigmar, you know, breaks the records and people lose their minds. How many mm-hmm. are we talking here? Thousands. It was a massive convention hall. Yeah. The, the main event had over 2,000 people just entered in that. Oh. And that, side events. then you had all the side events and everything. Mm-hmm. I think they promote that they get around 5,000 unique players over the weekend. It's a four-day event. That's crazy. Yeah. So you said it's a four-day event. Are you competing all four days, or is it one of those things where maybe after the first three days there's a cutoff and the field narrows? Or is it an open field of you know so, literally a 1,000 people in the open event? Yeah, so the- they, have, they have two main – they actually had two main events there, two what they call Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. The one was on the Friday and one was on the Saturday, so okay. two different formats of Magic. Um, ordinarily, most most big magic events only have one one Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was you play for the full day, eight rounds, and then if you do very well, you make the cut for this for day two. So I'm not a very good player. I've never made day two, but it's my goal to one day make day two of a GP. So you can call yourself a real magic player if you've done that. Right on. Well, a friend of the show, Kiss, uh, Chris Cousins, has, I believe, made the cut, and he won tickets to go to a, an event in another city, and they played his, paid his airfare. So I think... Yeah, so he's a very, very good player. Okay. But uh, now you say you're not very good, but um, I've heard quite the contrary. So you you do have... I mean, you do research the cards. You absolutely know how to play. You have solid Mm -hmm. decks. In fact, you're always innovating on your deck design. So just like, you know, maybe Lee and I tear into our army lists for uh, tabletop games, you are constantly, you know, shifting, evolving, um, you know, making sure that you are at the cutting edge of the quote-unquote meta that's Uh, happening at the time. Yeah, meta's the correct term. I think there's a few different levels to magic. So there's a lot of people that play kitchen table magic. So they'll say they play magic, but they never, ever go into a store. Mm-hmm. They'll always just buy the car- always just buy the cards, take them home, play them in a very casual environment. And then you probably have the next level who might play a little bit online. We've got Magic the Gathering Arena, which is a really great um, online game now for mm-hmm. playing standard. And then... So they, so people in the middle, casual players might do a little bit of that and then maybe go to the store once or twice every fortnight. Nice. And then it probably steps up a little bit. People that play a couple of times a week and then you have your pro players who are getting paid uh, upwards of $100,000 a year to play. Oof. So they'll have sponsorships and and all those sorts of arrangements with Wizards of the Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, to be a professional, you be, it's your full-time job. So if you're willing to commit the time and hours to magic, then you could be doing that. But one of the elements that I really like about magic is the element of chance. Mm-hmm. And it would just be so devastating to spend 40 hours a week playing this game and being the best at it. And then you lose because you draw the wrong card off the top of your deck. Yep. So I can't, I can't reconcile myself with that too much to be putting too much time into the game. Yeah. But from a local tournament perspective, I do like to go and play and be reasonably competitive and yeah, and, and enjoy myself because it's no fun losing all the time. You've got to be winning. Right. Uh, well, in, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I like, I like to do fairly well locally. Um, mm-hmm. But the magic environment is very restricted in Australia as well. So 
this Grand Prix that we went to in Vegas, which was amazing and a great big tournament, they just announced the Grand Prix for 2020. Mm-hmm. And they're almost in every US state, but we get one in Australia next year. Yeah, population problems. Um, yeah. Not always great. Yeah. Sorry. So that's that's the way it is. But then we were privileged enough to to go to Vegas and enjoy that and probably do that again in a, I don't know, maybe four or five years to travel again for another Magic tournament. Mm-hmm. Well, if if I may, um, I have often touted Lee's ability to be an analytical uh, gamer on this podcast. He looks at the numbers. Um, I've often described it the way I do it, which is sort of that that part of my French, the half-assed version of what Lee does. Um, as when I'm looking at the table, the the pretty miniatures start to disappear and the lines start to fall, and it starts to look like the Matrix. And I'm looking at you know the rules, so to speak, as they unfold on the table, and it's sort of like 3D chess. Now, when Lee does it, it I'm sure it is um, far more significant uh, than that because he can outthink me every time. Um, However, I am always impressed uh, whenever we've either played board games or the way that, you know, you guys interact. You're way more analytical than he is. So I'm terrified of you picking up a tabletop war game um, and being across the table from you. So I, I'm not sure that will happen. We were just talking about it earlier that Lee's moved across. Well, he used to play Magic when he was younger, mm-hmm. but he plays a little bit now as well, just occasionally. And- just a filthy casual. But yes. I, I don't think I would ever move across into that tabletop game, mm-hmm. the war, the style gaming. Yep. War gaming, yep. War gaming, yeah. Is Dare I ask why? Uh, it's just I've never seen the appeal of it. The mm-hmm. games are quite long. Yes. And I don't – I like things to be over and done with quickly and an outcome realized. Mm-hmm. Um. So magic games, a match will generally go for 50 minutes max. So uh, I like that 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 side of it. There's yeah. also the other side, which is the hobby and the painting, and I, and I don't enjoy that creativity side of it either. Yeah. So when I'm at work and I want to think of something that's not work, I'll be thinking about what cards in my deck will work better together. Mm-hmm. I won't be thinking, oh, I'd like to go home and paint some more dollies. <laughs> yes. Which is uh, exactly what we call them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so right on. All right. Well, that's totally cool. I get it. Um, it's not th- that I, I, I don't think I would enjoy it. I've got one of my um, my friends who I play magic with. She was, I, I heard about Errol one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Stacy would really enjoy this game. I think we should talk to her about it. And she got into it. Yep. Um. But yeah, not not my cup of tea. But that's fine because I also think it's very good to have different hobbies and yes. not not be on you know in each other's pockets all the time. Yeah, exactly. Not tread on any toes. No, that makes total sense. We're well, right on. Um, yeah, no, Stacy did come along and um, has actually embarrassingly at this point been to more um, Warlords of Erewhon local events than I have. I need to get back, Lee. When are we running another one soon? Hopefully. Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's been a I little think, uh, while. We, we got to do it. Yeah, we haven't done one for a while. It's been, what was the last one? August? I think yes. we ran one. Well, late July it might have been. Yeah, and for me, I think it was like the weekend after I got back from the States and we were moving house. We were moving house at that point. So, um, 
Now, a lot of people have actually that. Sorry, I'm going to slightly tangent here. A couple of people asked if I'd gone off uh, Warlords of Erewhon because we were playing it. And I was doing a lot of hobby about it for a long time, um, and then it's sort of I've been doing other things. Um, no, um, one of the the big sort of holding back points was um, I was hoping to record games and put them on YouTube, um, and now that the YouTube channel's up and running. And I think I've figured out how to get the larger tables um, technologically covered. Um, uh, I'm looking to play a game hopefully next week with Dave Monroe and hopefully record it. So um, we will hopefully get some more Lords of Erewhon on the Cast Dice YouTube channel soon. Um, but yeah. So um, I got to ask. Now, you guys went to the States um, and you did go to Vegas and you had a great time. Now... I feel like there's a million side stories we can ask about there. Anything of note stick out when you, I mean, you're walking into Vegas, into a massive venue. You, you've, you've already mentioned thousands of people who are there to play the same game as you. I can't even imagine. I mean, I remember Games Day in the U.S., um, the old one, when there were just two, um, and it was massive and it was, you know, literally thousands of people lining up outside and the doors opened. And it was just this massive convention atmosphere that um, is very unseen um, in Australia, generally, if you don't look at CanCon. But, God, you must have a thousand stories. Um, what happened? What are, some, what are some things that happened of note? Um, Lee, you, you've been fairly quiet so far. What, what sort of things stuck out to you? I mean, you are a longtime convention player, but of tabletop war games generally, um, what was it like to get into, uh, the thick of the, the big show of magic? Yeah, I think from comparing it to other conventions, I mean, compared to Australia, our biggest one's CanCon, which is in January every year. Mm -hmm. And that has probably uh what was this year they got a player cap of 900 i think mm -hmm. for, across all game systems uh plus they got space for traders hall uh there's a room for magic which doesn't count towards the player cap and then they've got the board games library um sort of open play kind of area which takes up quite a bit of space and they can fit a couple of hundred people in there too That's so right. it's it's probably approaching your 12 1300 people kind of thing mm -hmm. on a day uh, I've been to Gen Con over in Indianapolis, so I suppose to put it in perspective for so jealous. the Americans' um, listeners, the size of the Magic Hall was probably, I'll say, two-thirds or three-quarters the size of the Traders' Hall at Gen Con. Um, at Gen, Gen Con, Con itself, it, it's just insane. I just yeah. I went there... I think it was about six or seven years ago with some friends and yeah like the traders hall alone was just ridiculously large and then you yes. had the different gaming halls and it, it's just so spread out through the whole of indianapolis um the convention area and the hotels and there's you know you go off to a um a side sort of discussion with a, a games producers and they, they've got a room in a hotel and you literally it takes you 15, 20 minutes from the main venue to walk to find this little sort of room somewhere where they've set up a projector and That's they've bonkers. got a couple of game designers there and 20 chairs lined up and, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's insane. But when you look at Magic Fest Vegas, uh, it's at that convention centre there. It's a massive convention centre as well. 
<laughs> actually, funny story. Uh, the first day we were there on the, the Thursday, we were out the front and they had a couple of food trucks set up and we were just sitting down out the front and the magic event was in the South Hall Sea or something and we're sitting there and there's all these people streaming past and, and people are sort of branching off to go in two different directions and <laughs> we were playing the game of are they a magic player or are they going to the other thing? And <laughs> Yeah. And we felt we were pretty accurate because the other thing was a jiu-jitsu <laughs> competition <laughs> nice. like the American yeah. Nationals. Mm-hmm. And so you had all these people in jiu-jitsu outfits and they were jogging around to warm up before their event and there was all these super fit people and then yeah. you had all the gamers. Yeah. <laughs> and there was, there was a pretty clear group differentiation between the two. Uh, but it was quite interesting. You go out lunchtime and the two groups are sort of standing around looking at each other going, what the hell's going on? Yeah. Um, but yeah, as an event, it's it's very well organised. Um, Channel Fireball, which is one of the uh, retailers and and web content producers over in the states, runs mm-hmm. all the Grand Prix for Magic. Um, the the main events, Wizards has contracted it out for them to do it, mm-hmm. uh, and they've they've got staff. Like I noticed, I saw people there that were judging and running the event that I saw in Melbourne last year at one of the events they ran here. Oh so, wow. They've actually got people that their whole job is they just literally travel around the world doing these events all the time. And because they run pretty much one every weekend somewhere, they're just constantly bouncing around. Uh, Obviously, over in the States, you've got 50 odd states. So it's quite a bit of work there. Uh, They run, well, next year they're running four events in Japan, Mm -hmm. uh, which is basically having a look at the listing. They've consolidated down. So they're not running anything else in Asia, just Japan. Mm. Uh, and the same with Australia and New Zealand. Last this year we've had two events. Mm-hmm. Next year we get a single one. Or last or this year we've had three because of the New Zealand as well. But we're just getting one. Uh, so it looks like they're trying to regionalise and cut down on some of the um, broader areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Europe's got sort of what they have maybe ten yeah. across the year. So maybe one a month. But they spread it around across the country. So you have Copenhagen, you have London, you have Berlin. You know, so they sort of move it around a bit through Europe as well. But it's it's very well organised. Um, you know, they've got set areas uh, for registrations for different events because Magic's not just – it's not like bolt action you turn up and you're playing you're playing a game of bolt action, right? Right. Um, if you look at something like Flames of War, Battlefront producers, mm-hmm. they'll have events where they'll play uh, early war, mid-war or late war. Right. They'll differentiate based on mm-hmm. the time periods. Um, or they'll do their Team Yankee, which is the Cold War version. Mm-hmm. Um, with Magic, you've got Standard, which is basically cards from current and the preceding 12 to 2 years, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, 1 year to 2 years old. Uh, you've got Legacy, which is stuff from back 1993 onwards. Oh, wow. Uh, and Vintage, similar as well. Uh, they've got different restricted and banned cards. Uh, you've got Modern, which is basically cards from about 2007, I think. Mm-hmm. onwards so that's a format in itself uh you've got drafting which is where you basically sit in a group you open a packet you pick a card you pass the card you pass the packet aside and you basically just pass them around drafting cards and then you build a deck uh, oh, that's wow. a very popular format as well mm-hmm. uh you've got what else is that commander sealed you've got sealed events where you just get given a set amount of packs you've got to open them up build your own deck and then you play other people uh, Commander's a multiplayer format. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got Pauper, where you can only use common cards. So decks there are 40 50 bucks kind mm-hmm. of investment. So there's all these different 
formats. So you had different zones and they had like free play zones so people could just meet up and just do casual games. Um, a lot of events are ticketed. There's, you know, prize support there. If you, if you play well, you get tickets. They call them ticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, effectively, you know, little vouchers and then you can go cash them in a prize wall. They've got a, a booth set up for that. And I've got to tell you, on a Sunday afternoon, that prize wall, it's five people deep because oh, <laughs> wow. everyone's trying to cash out before they head home. Oh, of and course. Brad, mm-hmm. as, as you know, Lee, he's done all the numbers, so he's, he knows exactly what events we have to do mm-hmm. and how many rounds we have to win to yep. maximise the, the, the ticks. Mm-hmm. He's all over it. Now, now, Libby, you have to win two, <laughs> and if you win two, make sure you draw. <laughs> Make sure you draw your third round. Mm-hmm. Don't try and win, just draw. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Unlike a lot of other competitive games mm-hmm. um, that most tabletop war gamers would be quite familiar with, in Magic it's quite frequent for people to agree to just take a draw for a round. Oh, wow. And not play. Mm-hmm. So it's they call it ID, intentionally drawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually done because of the structure where they generally cut to a top eight for most big events. What happens is if you if it's eight rounds and you're on seven wins and you're playing someone else on seven wins, you'll both intentionally draw because you'll get uh, you get three points for a win and one point for a draw and no points for a loss. Uh, okay. So on seven wins and a draw, you're on more points than someone who's had a loss earlier in the day right. but then goes on to win seven rounds. Mm-hmm. So it puts you higher up. Now that's a that's interesting because I mean, in the tabletop world, that's sort of frowned upon. I know a couple of years ago at Arcanicon, uh, um, Australia's largest Warhammer 40,000 tournament, at least it was for years. I'm not sure if it is now. Um, at the top table in the last round, um, the two players shook hands and agreed to draw. Um, and the judges found out and banned them for that year, removed them from the uh, standings because of that. Mm. And so, um, because, you know, that wasn't in the spirit of the event or the game. So to, you know, I, I, I'm not surprised. I mean, that, that sounds like something that would be perfect. I mean, if the community approved it, it doesn't sound like it's the most outrageous thing in the world, but, yeah. um, yeah, I guess it just this depends on your yeah. culture. This isn't even community driven. This is literally, they make announcements during the day. If mm-hmm. you get to your third round and you wish to drop, you can draw with your opponent at agreement and come and collect your prizes. Like oh, wow. they literally, it's, it's literally, it's a thing that happens. I in think magic. that's money driven though, right? People drop, they go and pay to, to enter another event. Mm. Uh, I think they're just trying to get their numbers through. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's a good outcome for everybody. Yeah. It is, you yeah. remove that risk. And I certainly had um, not just Vegas. It happened a few times at Vegas, but other events I've played in as well. Where particularly my, my preferred format is the what we call a, a sealed limited. So you get a whole bunch of sealed packets at the start of the game, sealed booster packs, mm-hmm. and you open them up and you have to make a deck. And it's usually a three round event, so it's best of three. Um, and that's that's sort of where I, I do better than some of the other uh, formats. Mm-hmm. And the certainly had occasions where I've sort of gone all. Oh, I actually, well, I'm hungry. I want to go eat. So maybe I'll see if my opponent wants to draw. Mm-hmm. And then I've had other occasions where I've sat down at the table and my opponent's like, oh, do you want to ID? And I'm like, yep. Or I'm like, no, nah, I want to play it out because I've got a good deck and I've, yeah. I've done well and I think, yeah, I'm going to get it. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I've had it before as well. And the opponent's like, do you want to ID? And I'm like, it's up to you. And they're like, no, nah, no, nah, I, I think I, I want to go for it. Mm-hmm. And then I bet them. And it's just like, well, you had your choice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you try. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the prize difference between the win and the loss is actually quite significant. Oh, is it? Um, yeah. Because if you generally, or under the current point system, uh, if you can go those three wins, you effectively get in prize support it's uh and what's it work out five eights you get 40 packets so you effectively get a box a booster box full of product now what if is you get that the three re- the three wins so in australia what does that typically retail for uh 160 bucks <sighs> that's and you you're paying yeah 50 bucks to enter right so if you can actually go 3-0 you're tripling your your return yeah um but if you go two on one you basically get 100 points, you're getting 10 packs. So you're getting about a quarter of the return. But if you ID, you both get about two-thirds. Uh, so I'm chuckling just thinking about what Libby was saying earlier about, like, if yeah. you win two, oh, yeah, you make sure you draw this one. Yeah. but I mean, I'm there to play the game. He's there to analyze it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm there to play too. But I understand yeah. that the, the difference between actually taking that draw and removing that risk of... yeah losing mm-hmm. is actually quite an incentive. And it's quite interesting that they do it. But I find the bigger applications where they've actually got the bigger competitive events and they're doing a cut to a top, you know, top eight or mm-hmm. maybe a top 100 or whatever, depending on the size of it, that if you're actually on that winning streak and you get to that final round before the cut, it's perfectly acceptable to take the draws because it puts you again up above those who don't win. Yeah, that eighth round. Yeah, that makes sense. That's now, an interesting system. I just find it, it's it's not something that is utilized in any other war game that we play. And that's another thing that I wanted to touch on as well is that eight hours of gaming. So that's eight hours of focusing all the time on your mm-hmm. deck, what's going on, what your opponent's doing. There's generally not breaks scheduled. Yeah. Between magic rounds, they do mm. not schedule lunch breaks. It is the worst ever. So if you're what? playing one of these big events, you really need to be, you need to have built up a tolerance to playing yeah. while hungry. <laughs> oh, so man. that's that's been an interesting experience as well as I've got deeper and delved more into it. Is um, even local competitive events, so not these big international events, but the more local ones at the stores. Mm-hmm. If you're playing an all-day event, you really need to prepare and maybe have some snacks packed and some yeah. lunch and and not rely on getting a lunch break. Yeah, I, um, I imagine that the, the, the run for the bathroom between rounds would be real. Yeah, but then some games might take 20 minutes and some take 60. I suppose, so, yeah. Yeah. Mmm. Well, I have to ask, um, I, in my, and I think I mentioned this in a, a recent podcast so much though, so that I was contacted by a couple of people who said, ah, oh, so you've, uh, this is your therapy episode, huh? Where I was talking about how I've become almost allergic to uh, certain kinds of competition. Um, I guess this is a question for Lee, but Libby, please jump in on it. Um, Lee and I have played in in a variety of war games, uh, tabletop games, um, very competitively, top tier. Um, And I sometimes have found, um, you know, some of the win at all costs mentality to be uh, a bit much, especially these days. Um, When you have such high stakes, when the prizes are 
significant. And when there are that many people, I mean, it creates a hype. Is it still a friendly environment to play in or does it, can it get to be, I mean, we're talking about people, some people who do this, as you say, professionally. Um, I imagine there's been a lot of pressure on them to do well. Um, is it still, I mean, do you ever run into those folks and you're just like, well, this isn't fun. I'm going to go do something else. Um, or does it still sort of maintain a light, fun atmosphere? Uh, I think there's definitely people that take it very seriously. Mm. Um, I think with any large group and, you know, let's be honest, when we talk about gamers, you know, there's a number of personalities yes. across the, the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And magic's no different. You know, you'll run into your neckbeards, you're going to run into your introverts, and you're going to run into the completely extrovert guys and, you know, mm-hmm. your m'lady boys and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's it's quite interesting. I think the larger competitive events, obviously people are there to compete, um, whereas I generally play the side events, so it's a bit more casual. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't get as much, you know, people are a bit more chatty, a bit more talky. Um, I played in the main um, modern GP event in Vegas as well. Um, mm. you know, I was seeing who would actually perform better. Um, she did better than I did in the end. Um, Congratulations, Libby. To be expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I found some of the people I played were pretty chill because mm-hmm. it's quite a big, like we're talking over 2,000 people entered. So Oof. you had a pretty broad spectrum of people. Yeah. Um, but I also had a couple of opponents that were just bang, bang, bang. You know, they, they were just no prisoners. I'm just, I'm not here to talk. I'm mm-hmm. here to just play the game. And the thing with Magic is it is because it's been around so long and unlike things like Warhammer 40K or Bolt Action even, it hasn't gone through, you know, 10 editions of rules, updates and changes. It is fundamentally at the core still the same game. There's been some minor tweaks along the way, but the Mm. rule set itself is very defined. It's very structured into how things interact. Mm Mm-hmm. They have judges roaming the floor constantly. So if you have a rules question or a dispute or you're unsure of an interaction, you literally throw your hand up, scream judge as loud as you can because they're noisy events, mm-hmm. and they will come over and they will work out what the board state is and they will have a discussion. If something's been done wrong, they will either rewind it or they'll apply a penalty. Now, we had an event here in Melbourne um, a couple of months ago. It's a qualifying event. I went along first round, accidentally drew a card when I shouldn't have because an opponent had an ability out, but he hadn't actually called me on it. Mm-hmm. And then we realized and we're like, oh, all right, we'll just call the judge over, see what they say. Um, they came over and they're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put that card on the bottom of your deck. Your opponent gets to look at your hand to see what you've got. And then we're just going to, um, oh no, they looked at my hand, they chose a card to put on the bottom of my deck. That was the outcome of it. Mm-hmm. And then I got an official warning. Um, three, three warnings the same and you get disqualified from the tournament. Yeah. Okay. That's the first time I've had a warning and I was just like, it was purely an accident. My opponent yeah. hadn't picked it up, I hadn't picked it up and then we realised and we're like, oh, actually this. And at the end of the day, it didn't change the game state mm-hmm. for what was happening but it needed to be resolved. And they have a process there to resolve that. Um, you know, I can't imagine, you know, 
I've run bolt action events. You've run bolt action events. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've both been players in events. Mm-hmm. There, you know, the reading of some rule books and stuff's not necessarily written well, and there's all sorts of interactions that can occur. You know, generally most stuff's easily worked out and agreeable, yeah. but occasionally you get a sticky thing, right? And someone just has to make a decision on it, or yeah. you roll a d6, and on a four plus this happens, and on a one to three something else happens. Yeah. Um, magic's very different and it's very structured, so. I think, look, in general, I think most people do it because they enjoy it. They like the game. Mm-hmm. They like the mechanics of it. They like the, the fluff, the background, the art is just oh, it's amazing. so broad as well. Yeah. yeah. And the way, I mean, I started playing back in 1994, which was effectively the second year of Magic because it started in 93. And for me as a teenager in high school, the fantasy-based art that was being produced was just like crazy and the colors and the yeah the little um they didn't have stories back then you didn't have novels you didn't have online stories the internet barely existed um oh i but remember little, yep <laughs> yeah you had little blurbs on the cards just mm-hmm. telling little stories and throughout the set you got a broad sort of story of what was going on and as they produced more sets they got better at that storytelling across the cards mm-hmm. so you'd actually um you know you'd buy a, a box of boosters you'd open them up you'd get a whole bunch of cards and you could read the, the flavor text and you get an idea of oh what's this set about what's the what's happening in the world mm-hmm. we should talk about the current set actually because that's yeah. probably a really interesting theme brad nice. it's um it's across some fairy tales and so some people have said it's a dark version of shrek <laughs> oh, nice um, yeah, yeah. grim dark fairy tales. Yeah, yeah, grim dark fairy tales. So we've got um, cards called Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time, and Happily Ever After, and mm-hmm. it's really cool art as well. Um, and there's a few cards there that I'm really enjoying playing with. Yeah. Um, but so one of the previous sets was on a um, was called Ether Ether Revolt and Kaladesh, and that was in a world where there was tiny little machines. And that sort of really got me sucked in because you're you're playing with these cards and they've got tiny little robots, flying robots printed on them. Mm-hmm. And some of the artwork that I bought in Vegas is actually of one of those cards that I was playing with originally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I get sucked into the story a bit as well. Mm. Nice. And, like, you look at the Eldraine stuff, you've got the ginger brute, which is a giant gingerbread man. Nice. And you've got uh, you've got a whole bunch of knights, and then you've got the Hansel and Gretel style little pair. Yeah. And you've got things like there's the lurker in the lock, and it's a merfolk with a giant sword, and the flavor text is basically ripping off Monty Python. Um, <laughs> yeah, you've, got, you've got a card that's just it destroys a target creature, and it's called baked into a pie. Nice. Yeah. And that the game mechanics around it. There's this food mechanic. You've got gingerbread houses that basically taken all the fairy tale and yeah, Hans Christian Andersen sort of stories and, and all those and they've combined them into this one set that's very medieval flavoured but with all these this fantasy twist on it. And it's um and then the, the you know the artwork that goes along with it. It's just crazy. So it's quite engaging. And I think that's where people it's had that continuance over time and that it's kept growing as a game and as a as a player base because it's diverse and yeah. it, it does different things. And like Libby said, you know, you had the Kaladesh series. Um, we had one, um, Ixalan, which was basically 
pirates, zombies, and vampires. I I've mean, seen that one. That's cool. Yeah. And then, yeah. Oh, and dinosaurs. They had dinosaurs yeah. in there too. Yeah, and then so we had the uh, Amiket series, which was set in ancient, like an ancient Egypt-style mm-hmm. environment, and you mm-hmm. had flying dragons and sphinxes and – so these things and zombies and yeah, so. there's always zombies. Oh, there's always zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is there always zombies? <laughs> yeah. yeah there's, some, there's always a zombie pops up. Zombies, goblins, cats, cats. There's a few eternal things, merfolk. Um, they pretty much pop up in every set, regardless of uh, regardless of what the overall theme is. There'll be some way they wedge in a little thing because of the different formats of magic. Um, like you take Commander, which is the multiplayer format. Mm-hmm. People, it's a, it's what they call a singleton. So you have your deck of cards, but you can only have one of each card. So you can't. You normally Magic allows four of a particular card in a deck, mm-hmm. but you're only allowed a single. So people will build what they call tribal decks. So you'll have a merfolk deck. So you'll be looking for merfolk cards to put in your deck, so you get synergies out of it. Mm-hmm. So whenever they release a new set, there's obviously cards in there that are targeted at the commander sort of uh, base. Right on. Yeah. So that's why you'll end up with vampires and mm. zombies and things like that. And the up. other format that we have, which is really interesting, is called Seven Point Highlander, and that's unique to Australia. So oh, it's it? named after Highlander because they can only be, be one. one. I nice. haven't seen the movie, but apparently what? that's and um. Yeah, so at seven points is they've got the very powerful cards allocated points, so from three to, to one point per card, then you can mm-hmm. only have seven points worth of those cards in your oh, deck. And it's also single turn. But I, I like the fact that it's a unique Australian format too. Seems mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. The Canadians have a similar yeah, but format. It's a, yeah. It's a different but thing. But slightly different. Now, you were talking about playing Popper earlier while you are talking about formats and how you can only spend – something like 40 or 50 bucks on a deck. Now, I'm not going to ask specific numbers because uh, that's rude, but um, I know that I've been in many game stores over the years, and I've heard a lot of card players, and I'm not saying Magic, I think it's more other card games, um, but players saying, oh, you know, they come by and they look at the models that we're playing, be it Bolt Action, be it Warhammer, um, be it you know, Warlords of Erewhon, whatever game that we've been playing. And I know Lee's been part of these conversations too because I've been playing against him. And they go, wow, this is cool. Tell us about it. And so you tell them about the game and they're very excited. And then they kind of, you know, check out what's going on and then go off to the shelf to look at maybe models and then come back. And they're like, oh, it's not assembled. It's not painted. And that's one thing. That's a whole, that's The hobby's a whole other aspect of the game um, or the greater hobby, I should say. But then the the comment that always makes me twitch my eye is, oh, but it's so expensive. And I look at them and go, is it though? I mean, it is. But compared to cards, I I, I get the feeling they're very similar. Um, Now, yeah, I I don't know. Lee is, is, you know, you definitely know what I'm talking about. Is it a comparable amount? I mean, I'll let Libby field this one. Okay. And again, we don't need to get into absolute specifics, but I'm, I'm sure the different formats, I mean, Lee's talking about three unopened decks and Popper, which are all common cards. I'm sure each format has its own specific price tag, but Libby, tell us a little bit about how good slash bad this can be. Um. Well, it's good that I work full time. Okay, there you go. All right, there you um, go. nice. And I might have mentioned to Lee a few times that I think it's good that I play Magic because his hobby 
spending probably doesn't touch the sides of what I spend on magic. Ah, ouch. <laughs> yeah. Whew. So, well, I don't know how much. We don't have joint. Yeah. I don't ever see his credit card, um, which I think is good. Yes. But I, I have an idea, and I think that I probably – well, we, because he does play a lot of well, – not a lot, but a little bit of magic too, mm-hmm. um, especially when new cards are released, that what we spend on magic probably far exceeds other hobby. Okay. All right. But it sounds yeah. like you're using it. It's It's not like – I mean, some of us yeah. have Smog's hoard of treasure of toy soldiers that we're sitting on that may be unbuilt and unpainted, and I'm not sitting on that right now. I'm just saying, um, it sounds like yeah. that you are getting good use out of this. And I know, That's, for example, yeah. that sometimes you turn and burn some of these cards and sell them on. Um, once. As an example, I bought my one of my modern decks that I've played a lot with for $750, which is a lot of money for mm. paper cardboard. Australian right? dollars. Yeah, seven hundred and fifty Australian dollars, and I yeah. bought this maybe two two years ago, mm-hmm. and I've played with it a lot over that last two years. So I've got a, a lot of value yeah. for money out of it. So these are the modern cards that are they're known to be for what we call format staples. Mm-hmm. So they're very they're they're likely to retain their value. So I could sell that deck now for probably over a thousand dollars if I wanted to. Yeah, there you go. So it increases in value. Um, if you, if you buy into the eternal formats, ideally. But the money that you spend on new products, the, the new releases, is probably money down the drain to a degree. You're, play, you're paying for the experience. Yeah. Um, but if you're buying single cards that you know will be around for a long time, then I don't, I don't really see it as money wasted. It's, a, yeah. it's an investment. Lee, Lee might not mention this, but he's gone through a phase over the last couple of years of buying quite a few of the format staples, specifically the lands. And he's built up quite a little real estate collection there. <laughs> Has he? Yeah. He definitely is not mentioned that. He keeps on saying it so when I need to, when I need to play them, I don't just go and buy them and pay excessive prices for it. But I think he quite likes the uh, the investment aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a a set release last year called Ultimate Masters. Mm-hmm. So he went and bought a case of that and just stashed it in his bedroom closet, mm-hmm. just in case it goes up in value. <laughs> So he, he actually quite likes the investment side where I don't really have any interest in that. It's mm-hmm. more about playing it for me. Yeah, exactly. And having fun. Yeah. Nice. Now, uh, I uh, look, it's not every day, as I, I mentioned before, that um, a woman has been on cast ice. And so I have to ask, um, uh, having been in game stores in recent years, um, specifically magic events and specifically um, role-playing game nights. Um, the old grognard in me has been astonished, especially in the city of Melbourne when you walk around um, at, you know, we have often parody, um, as in equal numbers of men and women playing games together, um, which, you know, was unheard of in the 80s, 90s, early O's, I mean, it's not that women didn't play games, but it was not nearly as popular. And I hate to say it, probably is safe socially to do that. I mean, I, I worked at Games Workshop. My my desk was in the corporate office behind the headquarters store. And when a woman walked in, you would watch the, you know, the people who are in there hanging out or even sometimes working, you know, break their necks looking at the, you know, the woman walking in. Whereas anyone else would walk in, you know, any other dude walking off the street, 
no one would look up. And you go, yeah. so well, gaming. I, I like to think that I'd turn heads like that, but it's probably not well, the case. Um, well, <laughs> no, I think that my experience overall has been very, very positive. And I don't think that's what every female has experienced in, in gaming. Right. But I've been very fortunate with my experience. I think I work in a very male dominated environment. So my tolerance levels are pretty high as well. Mm. Um, I've had a few guys that. I've, I've beaten and I think they've reacted in a certain way and they might not have reacted in that way if I was male. Um, mm. But I don't know. That's just, that's just my assumptions. Um, but yeah, I, when I started playing Magic, I was playing by myself. Um, as in not by myself, but I was going to the events by myself with no friends. Right. And I made friends very, very quickly. And a lot of those friends were guys and they were very happy to teach me how to play Magic better and and guide me and help me make my deck better and mm -hmm. and so overall i'm i'm very very happy with with how it's all gone mm -hmm. yeah i i don't know if wargaming has come i think all aspects of tabletop gaming i should say have gone that way but um in recent years of course board gaming's become incredibly popular by to everyone um including um, a group of people that another podcast that I enjoy calls normies, um, people who are quote unquote normal, um, who don't play games and or <laughs> right. read comic books or enjoy, you know, quote unquote nerd culture, geek culture, whatever you want to call it. And so um, I think, I think we really are in a bit of a renaissance. Not only do we have such fantastic games to play now, we've really learned from our past um, as gamers and as game designers but I think culturally, um, I mean, I legit got into fights in high school. Um, I mean, legit have scars on my knuckles to this day from getting into fights where people gave me crap because I had game books. Yeah. Now, I'm sure that exists today, but I think there are more people with those game books. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think it's just an exciting uh -huh. time. I think it's changed because look at the amount of kids playing Fortnite, and yeah, and it's and that would be previously probably considered very nerdy to play mm -hmm. computer games, but now almost every teenage boy is playing it. Yeah. So I think, I think there's a level of, I think times are changing and people have more disposable time and they're mm -hmm. happy to play games. Yeah. Um, this is actually a very good segue, Brad, into yes. my new venture, yes. which is called Fortnightly Board Games Club. Yes. So we had our inaugural session last Sunday, mm -hmm. and I'd like to I'd like to state it was a big success. And you guys, I I saw pictures of Carcassonne, which was is always awesome. But what else did y'all play? No, I think we just oh we played Carcassonne, and then we played Azul. Nice, yes, yeah, both great games. Mostly around the food as well, not just the games, mm -hmm. but a little bit of the gaming. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, Lee won every game, so that was a bit annoying. Yeah. But he does that. <laughs> yeah, but there was more females than males there. Nice. Yeah, four to two. Yeah. Got victimized. Mm. Well, my wife and I hope to join shortly. Um, we did. We love the invitation, and we are. We love playing. Um, for those who who do, have not listened to the prior episodes where we talked about um, the FFG Cthulhu game, uh, Mansions of Madness. Um, I have some friends and we play a regular game and, um, my wife, who's an avid, uh, Lovecraftian fan, 
uh, has to get in whenever we play. She's always joined in. Um, and, um, unfortunately in my wife's case, it's kind of ruined her. Um, because unless, uh, because that game has such a wonderful app to drive it, um, <laughs> that plays basically, you know, plays the bad guys. Uh, she now asks whenever I mention like, Hey, there's this great game. You would be really interested in it. Like, I think you'd really dig this. Um, and she does. I mean, she's very, you know, you've met my wife. She's very, um, strategic in her own way. Um, oh, I question. Yeah. Big fan. Um, clearly I married her. Um, but, uh, she, she now every single time looks at me, is there an app? <laughs> Damn it. There's not an app for this game. I'm not interested, but you'd like it. There's not an app. And, I, and that's when the Scottish stubbornness gets me every time. But, um, yeah, no, but yeah, there's so many great games and we would love to come and play, um, because both of us really enjoyed that that dynamic of, you know, sitting down, having a meal with some friends, playing some games, um, and yeah, having a good time. Mm. The other thing that we've started to do as a gaming couple mm -hmm. is started a Gloomhaven campaign. Really? Okay. Now, I've been wanting to talk about this game. Now, I have not gotten into it too much. I'm afraid to look, but I have to ask. Now, for those who haven't been in a game store recently, um, Gloomhaven is by far the biggest effing box I have ever seen on a shelf. And it is a fantasy board game. Uh, tell us more. Um, Libby, what's it all about? Well, it's firstly, it's number one rated on Board Game Geek. Mm -hmm. And so I played, I think it's a take on Dungeons and Dragons, mm -hmm. but in a more structured way. So I tried Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I tried Dungeons and Dragons at a PAX one year, and I just really didn't like it because there was no win condition. How do I win this game? Right? There was. I just couldn't. <laughs> yes. Right. That's so not Dungeons with, and Dragons. With yeah. Gloomhaven, you're working together as a team. Um, you have characters that you're playing on the board. Mm -hmm. uh, little mini figs. Lee said he's going to paint paint owls soon. Nice. And you have a dungeon that you need to work your way through and fight monsters and collect treasure. And then you have your own personal quests as well. And then your character grows and develops, which I believe it does in Dungeons and Dragons. So mm -hmm. you, you level your characters up. Yeah. Um, so we've only done the first, the first scenario and we're playing another round on Sunday. So hopefully we'll get through another one or two, depending on the timing. Nice. But I'm really enjoying the story as well as the game mechanics. Mm-hmm. There's two aspects there. So if you move from the town of Bloomhaven out to your first scenario, you have to draw a road card and then you have to do what's, you have to make a decision as a group and as a team as to how you're going to react. Mm -hmm. um, so I like that, that style of it as well. Yeah. Now when you're, pl when you're playing this, are each one of you playing a single character or? A yes. Yeah. So okay. mine's called Brinian. Mm -hmm. Lee's called Crom. Mm -hmm. Nicely. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Conan. Yeah. Nice. So we'll see how we go, but I'm I'm pretty addicted to it right now. I can't nice. wait till Sunday. That's cool. Uh, now, Lee, please tell me that's a Conan reference. Yes. Yes, Thank it you. is. Now, My... is this is this where I publicly shame you and say that you got when you moved, you got rid of your copy of Conan? I no, I've lent my copy okay. of Conan, Pedro. Okay, lent it. Phew. 
and he wasn't too impressed by it. So <laughs> I'm not sure if our friendship can continue. Oh, Pedro, we're going to fight. Um, okay, yes, um, because that is one of, of course, the... It's a classic. Yeah, it's... it's, it's High master. fantasy. Mm, the best. James Earl Jones doesn't get any better than that, ladies and gentlemen. And that includes Star Wars. Anyway. Oh, um, uh, that Simpsons episode. Uh, with the clouds. Yeah. Okay. Where they had, you know, he did the CNN. This is CNN. I'm your father. Yes. And then the Simba thing. Mm-hmm. That was peak James Earl Jones, I that think. That is, actually. Incidentally, yeah. side story. Yeah. I saw James Earl Jones live on stage in New York off Broadway. What? Many years ago in a play. <sighs> That Along with uh, Will from Will and Grace, Angela Lansbury, and a bunch of other people I can't remember. Was this who. all in the same show? Yes, all in the same show. What it was show? an American political drama. It was quite good. But yes, I saw James Old Jones live. I was like 10 meters away. It was inspirational. I'm, mm, I'm yeah. beyond jealous. I'm, yeah, Jack's never ending <laughs> sense of jealousy. Um, all right, so. Damn. All right. So let's get back to Gloomhaven. So Lee, you're saying now Libby's done a very good job of explaining it, but for the tabletop analog, it is very, it sounds very hero questy. Yeah. I think the way it's set up, you, you're moving through dungeons effectively, or yeah. you're moving through environments, but it's effectively a dungeon crawler. Okay. You've got your figures, you open the door, look, there's monsters in there, mm-hmm. there's treasure chests, there's tables, there's obstacles to move around. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got range attacks, you've got com- close combat attacks, um, you've got abilities. It's got a, um, not a drafting deck mechanic, but you've got a, a deck of cards for your combat actions, and they're all unique to each individual. Oh, cool. And then you basically draw a hand of cards and you, you choose what you're playing. You play two cards a turn. And you choose the order and that sort of thing. And there's an initiative factor in there. So it's it's kind of like Hero Quest on steroids. Um, well, the box is anything to go by, I would say so, because it's yeah, it's it's, it's ridiculous. Nine point eight kilos for the box because I had to carry it home, <laughs> oh, and it was in the outer box. They hadn't actually taken it out of the, the transport box. Uh, so that's about twenty twenty two pounds oh, for the overseas people. Yeah, that's fine. I just. Whacked on my shoulder like a slab of beer, and I walked home. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a good thing you go to the gym. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah, man. it's a big hefty box. But it's it's literally uh, you've got twenty odd figures in there, plastic figures in mm-hmm. their boxes. You've got the twenty character packs and so their little cardboard envelopes with your character cards and your special actions and and stuff Mm -hmm. so there's actually you start off with six characters available for the start Mm -hmm. and then as you go through the game some of them will be forced to retire and you unlock new characters so it's actually the whole box has there's 95 or so missions Mm -hmm. to do um, adventures and as you progress and you grow your team and you grow the city and the city levels up as well as your characters, mm. you unlock new things. And um, That's awesome. it's what they call, it's kind of like for those who've played uh, Pandemic, um, mm-hmm. as you do stuff on Pandemic, you take stickers and you... Pandemic Legacy. Legacy, sorry, the, the Legacy version. Mm-hmm. You basically put stickers on your game board and on your character sheets and so they can't be reused. And Gloomhaven's the same thing. As you progress, you literally tear cards in half and throw them away and you put stickers on your map as you unlock new areas and things like that so it's it's very much a a single game and look you can get sticker packs away to remove and be able to reuse things but i look at it and i go 95 missions yeah 95 sundays Mm -hmm. 
every fortnight, I'll probably be 50 by the time we finish the thing if we manage to yes. maintain friendships. So it's mm-hmm. it's quite a it's a it's a big investment. It was $200 Aussie. Um, yeah. So you know, 100 pounds, 140, 150 US. Uh, but it's it's literally choppers. It's got a whole bunch of miniatures. It's got a bucket load of cardboard punch-outs. It took us like half an hour just to punch all the card out. Yeah, sort of um, I feel like we've got yeah. value for money already just on that one Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and when you got four players as well, like it's yeah. it's it's quite yeah. good. Because I've always found that putting stickers on your board game and changing it forever absolutely abhorrent. Yeah, like, ditto, I right? I <laughs> Pandemic Legacy, but because your characters are growing and you're, yeah, you're changing with the game state. I've mm-hmm. come to terms with it now. That's mm. cool. Yeah. And I'm unlikely to start again. Yeah, yeah exactly. Never start again. Well, and do you know what? They even have expansions. That was my so next question. Yeah. Who's going to finish this, this game that then needs an expansion? Like, as Lee said, you need strong friendships to do that. Yeah, Exactly. Oh, I can think of quite a few games where after a couple of hours or one good round, you're like, yep, I think we're done. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If you play, if you played once a week, if you had a gaming group and you, you met every week and there's group people out there that have been doing that for decades, yeah, you'd get through it in two years. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But I mean, you when you think about the, you're talking about how big and expensive the box is. Um, but you're also talking about how much how much replayability there is at, in it in one campaign. While you're not going to reuse the same game and play it over and over and over again, but just the fact that it does have that life uh, as that campaign, um, yeah. and you grow with the game, as Libby said, that's man, that's great value for money. I mean, that if you can, manage to yeah, if you manage to get through the whole thing, you're basically looking at fifty cents per game per person. Yeah, right. You break it down. Now, so, I'm yeah, not much of a video game player, but um, I am a big fan of the Fallout New Vegas and um, some of the Obsidian stuff. Uh, and they are about to come out with the Outer Worlds. But I'm looking at you know the price tag when it comes out in Australia. It'll probably be about $80, $90 for a game. And I'm going, do I really want to spend that for a game? Now, for some video games, you know, I've, I've played it a couple times and gone, wow, that was totally not worth the money I spent. But, you know, games like... You know, Skyrim, which, you know, you start playing and then you fall into and come out six months later, you go, wow, I got my money's worth for that. Um, but for what you're describing is even better. Um, and again, it's that you're not playing by yourself. You're playing as part of that community. So that's, and that's rad. That's such a, a cool and I guess it's not ridiculously unique in this day and age with games like, as you're saying, Pandemic Legacy, but... It is it is fascinating, isn't it? Um, it's a cool sort of new aspect to gaming, and hopefully, you know, we'll see some other games like that. Yeah, I think it's it's a big one for people as a group to commit. But I mean, I certainly know back in the early '90s when I started, um, I joined the local games club mm-hmm. and uh, got into role playing, and we were playing D and D, and we used to meet every fortnight, and yep. it was pretty much twice a month um, for a whole year, and we ran campaigns that ran for years. Mm-hmm. And we had a group of us, and there was about eight or nine of us, and some weeks some people couldn't make it, so their characters were just not there that week. Mm-hmm. Um, but we went through, you know, massive times and commitments of people doing stuff, and, you know, that was um, from there, you know, I got into 
playing Warhammer and mm. 40k and all those sorts of things and Magic as well. That was sort of the whole point of Magic was to play between games of D and D. Because while you're waiting for, for things to kick off, you mm-hmm. play Magic. That was the design of it. That's yeah. how it came about. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Um, so you know, that's. I think people have been playing in groups like that for for decades, and I think the board games now it's a lot more acceptable. You know, we had a, a diverse range of friends over on the weekend to play, and you know, taught them how to play Carcassonne, and off we but went. Rodney taught them how to play. Oh, Rodney! Yes. So you... there's this YouTube channel called Watch It Played, Brad. Oh yes, that's how I learned to play Star Wars Legion. Yeah, how cool is Rodney? Yes. Yeah. I've got a little bit of a crush on Rodney now. Awesome. <laughs> Actually, Lee, we need to tell you what before we go. Mm-hmm. I, you probably want to wrap this up soon, but um, Vegas story. The Vegas mm-hmm. story. So one of my magic heroes is his, his screen name is called Saffron Olive, mm-hmm. and he produces content for MTG Goldfish. Mm-hmm. So I love Seth. I watch him a lot. Um, he just creates really stupid decks, and um, what's it called? He calls it against the odds. So he builds his silly deck and then tries to win in the stupidest way possible. And I just love it because it's it's what the game's about, right? Just yeah. having fun and mm-hmm. still trying to win, but doing it in your own unique way. Yeah. And he just is so engaging on the screen. And we and he was going to be at Vegas. I might have emailed them before we booked our tickets to make sure he was going to be there before we booked our tickets. <laughs> um, so we did that and we rocked up and I'm like, where's Seth? I need to find Seth. I can't see him. Where is he? And I just kept on walking around, doing laps of the convention center until I finally found him. And when I did, Lee was with me. Mm-hmm. And I'll let Lee tell you the next bit. <laughs> yes. yes. So I actually spotted Seth first. I've gone, oh, Libby, there's Seth. It's just like, <gasps> the, the audible gasp. And then um, <laughs> she's gone up and she had a, a play mat she wanted signed. And she's gone up. She's like, oh, hi, Seth. And he's like, oh, hi. And she's like, oh, I'm a big fan. I watch all your streams. Really enjoy your content. Can you sign my play map? And he's like, "Okay, cool." And then he signs the play map, and then she's like, "Okay, thanks." <laughs> and she just walked <laughs> off. And I'm like, "No, it wasn't that bad, uh, but it was pretty bad because we- <laughs> he is so engaging on the stream." Yeah. And I just I didn't expect that I would have to ask questions and engage with him when I met him. I mm-hmm. thought he was going to engage with me, but he yeah. obviously just didn't have the emotional energy to do that all day. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize. So my encounter with Seth was pretty good. I got a photo. I got my plane mat sign. Mm-hmm. I told him I really enjoy the streams and, and that was it. It was <laughs> accomplished. <laughs> when you meet your heroes, you know, I've done it once or twice and every time it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's rarely gone well. Um, for me anyway, cause I'm always like, I love your work. I'm not a fanboy at all. Uh, yeah. yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, it was good. Yeah. It was good. I'm glad I met him, but mm-hmm. it was pretty awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I know what to do next time though, Brad, right? Yeah. Ask yeah. questions. Ask questions. That's it. You, you give him something to say now. Yeah. You you mentioned you guys have to run now. I can't let you go without. Uh, now I'm a massive Star Wars fan. You guys know it. Oh yeah. And you've been to the Galaxy's Edge, the new uh, Disney Star Wars part of Disneyland. Uh, okay, I gotta ask. Tell me all about. Well, tell me all about it. No questions. Just rain Star Wars on me. Make it happen. Go. So 
something he's never seen Star Wars really. She tried to watch the original Star Wars film and didn't really get into it. I'm so cringing over here. She she pushed herself through. Mm-hmm. I think she's very supportive. I'll put it that way. Okay. Um, I think there's two types of people in the world, Brad. Yes. Those who like blue milk and those who like the green milk. <laughs> I do. Do they have green milk? They have the green milk from really? uh, Force Awakens. Do you know when Luke goes to that? Oh, get out, do they? Yeah. So you go to the, there's a little stall set up. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you this, right? Disney and Disneyland are run by very smart people mm-hmm. that are very, very focused on you having an engaging time. Yes. That you are focused on having an immersive time mm-hmm. and extracting as much as possible from your wallet. Yes. Very much so. Very good at it. They have had decades of practice. They hire the best people for it. Mm -hmm. And they are really good at customer service and engagement, right? Yep. Um, So you walk into Galaxy's Edge. It's a big entrance. It's kind of, you feel like Tatooine slash Nabooey kind of crossover. Mm -hmm. Um, It's its own new um, world that they've set up. So it's, it's a new planet, effectively, in the canon of mm-hmm. the story. And it's First Order era. So all the Stormtroopers are First Order. Mm-hmm. There's First Order banners everywhere and the patrols. And you've got plenty of characters walking around throughout the day. I caught up with Chewbacca. There's rebels mm-hmm. wandering around. There's a whole storyline that travels through the day. So if you're there... You can interact with characters and find out what's going on, and they'll tell you, oh, the Empire's doing this, or we're hunting these rebels. So there's this sort of overarching storyline, and we weren't there for the evening, but they actually have a, um, there's like this light and sound, fires, explosions show that goes on with a showdown between the rebels Mm -hmm. and the First Order in the evening every night. So So unfortunately, we weren't there that late for it, um, because we had to fly back home. Um, but it's it's literally you walk around. They've got droids. There's data pads. They've got an app, which Kirsten loved. They've got an app yes. um, that has these little mini puzzles, and you can go around. It's got translating things, and you can unlock all these achievements and stuff like that. But the sort of I suppose to be able to walk around, and they've got a full scale Millennium Falcon, and there's there's a section with A wings and X wings, and that sitting in landing pads and mm-hmm. it was only half open too. The full thing's not opening till uh, January, Feb next year. Oh, is it? I didn't realize yeah. I thought it was fully open. No. So, well, they've opened the area, but they've only got one ride, which is the Falcon ride. Yeah. And the second ride's not open yet. Mm. Um, and they've sort of got down where that section is. They've got like, a, there's a little outdoor sales thing mm-hmm. and they've got a couple of, vehicles like the x-wing and the a-wing are down there and they just make noise and puff out sound and gas every now and then and there's some little droid noises and stuff like that but it's mm-hmm. not fully developed okay um, but yeah the main area where they've got they've got things you've got the the milk stand <laughs> so up there and yeah. so yeah. lee had to make sure that i got a photo of him with a blue milk mustache yes yes i love um, that photo by the way lee well played yeah but I got one of each. I got the blue and the green. I mm-hmm. like the blue. The I bit. like the green. Yeah. The green one's a bit more fruity. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not milk-based. They're like a slurpy kind of thing, but a bit 
different. They're, they're kind of hard to describe. I, I read an article about it, and um, the Dis- Disney's got its own chefs, like alchemist chefs that come mm-hmm. up with dishes throughout the parks mm-hmm. um, for the different areas to, to sort of match it in with the themes and the ideas. And and they said we want we needed to create a drink that was different to what people were expecting. So it's sort of got this icy, creamy texture to it. You can't even describe it. Yeah. So... It almost tastes like, you know, uh, medicine that you would have had as a child, mm-hmm. but the nice-tasting version of that. Okay. It's so, just hard to tell. Did you guys go to the Disney park as a whole beyond the Star Wars park? park? Yeah, so we did the whole thing. Okay. We, um, so We went a few years ago together. Did you do – question, talking consistency and that frozen, almost creamy consistency – um, I think it's um, oh god, out of the tiki outside the tiki room, there is. I'm not a Disney nerd at all, by the way. In case you're wondering, um, there was the Dole frozen uh, treat yeah, section. Yeah, no, different. Yeah, it's different again. Okay, it's, it's different again. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's yeah. You have the texture, the mouthfeel, sort of this creamy frozen, but it's it's not like a thick shake. It's not like a yeah. It's, it's not like a slurpy. It's, you just have to go there. Yeah, okay. it's probably a cross between a thick shake and a Slurpee. That's mm. that's sort of the thing I can think of at the moment. Is um, the food was scrub. really good though. The yeah. food was exceptional. In the what was the restaurant called that we ate there? Docking Bay Seven. Mm-hmm. Docking Bay Seven was very nice. Nice. And not that expensive, was it? Uh, oh, it was Disneyland prices. I think that's the other thing. It's you like. I mean, a, a bottle of Coke in Disneyland's like five dollars US. Exactly. So, One million dollars. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you're paying a premium because you're in the park, and it's mm-hmm. it's just part of it. Um, but you know, the food was restaurant quality food. Like I had ribs and salad, and um, our friend who was with us, she had a, a, a chicken salad, and I can't remember what he had. No, I can't remember either. But it was yeah. good. Yeah, and they had this little dessert puff thing that was like a chocolate mousse inside a raspberry puff thing, and it was delicious. Um, so it's the whole thing's just really well done. It's really well polished um, because it's so new as well. It's very, it's very fresh. I think you go to some other parts of the park, and you can, mm-hmm. if you look closely, you can see the wear and tear. And they do spend a lot of time on maintenance and things. But like the haunted house was closed for maintenance, so we couldn't go into that mm-hmm. on the day. Uh, it's a small world broke down a few times. Yeah. Well, it was a very hot day too. Yeah. So I think some things are breaking down because of the heat. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're sort of, I would like to call us professional Disneyland goers now after our second trip mm-hmm. because you get in there right on as, as early as you can yep. and then you head left because all yes. the Americans head right. Yes. So you need to head left. And we can get through all of that Adventureland area in the first easily mm-hmm. hour and a bit. That's right. So that's our strategy. But I don't, yeah, I'm not sure we'll be going back there anytime soon. Yeah. Oh, the other thing that Lee missed out on was the sword experience. Oh, the lightsaber. Yeah, I was going to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I looked at it originally because it's a unique experience um, that you can do there. And I looked at it originally and it was like you've got a book on the day, blah, 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 and there was people talk, looking at some um, – you know, stuff on the internet, people like, oh, yeah, I had to queue up for two hours and all this sort of stuff. And then they changed the system and so you could book in the morning, you know, from 7 a.m. You could book online to secure your spots because they're only taking 20 people at a time and this sort of stuff. And so I'd read all that and I'm like, all right, cool, we've got to get up early on the first day when we get there and make sure I book in. 
And I got in there and I logged on the night before. I thought, I'll just check. Got on the night before, it was like fully booked. I'm like, oh, hang on. Oh. And then I read back through and they changed it to you could book two weeks ahead. Mm-hmm. So obviously the initial surge had died down and they sort of altered the way they were doing the system. And I was, so I missed out. I informed, unfortunately. Yeah, I hadn't double checked. That so I checked it. Yeah. I didn't get to build my lightsaber, um, which is, yeah, apparently I, I read some articles about it. It's a very unique experience. You go in and they've got this, it's a theatre sort of base thing you're building it they've got people that are jedi masters and helping you and all this sort of thing um that's okay something to do next time yeah exactly well uh i guess you probably didn't go to uh club 33 while you were there either um do you guys know what i'm talking about no so there sorry uh walt disney had a is it is it it the secret club it is it is yeah i have heard yeah it's a um so yeah i always have my picture taken outside whenever i'm at the park but it's uh yeah it's literally there's a 14 year waiting list um to become a member i believe it's twenty five thousand dollars um initiation fee and then once you're in i believe to maintain your spot you have to spend between 10 or fifteen thousand dollars a year um but it's the only way you're let in the door and it's just a doorway with a 33 outside um, in Louisiana, Louisiana square. Jay? Yeah. In, uh, the original Disney park. And it was, um, Walt Disney's hangout. It was his restaurant. It's where he used to, um, take, you know, visiting heads of state. Uh, and now it's like an ultra elite club that you can go to. And I would love to go in. Um, but yes. so what are the benefits of this club? Is it just access to the restaurant or do you get other benefits as well do you think i think i mean i think you get unlimited access to the park as part of it um i would imagine but and also I think, so. yeah <laughs> exactly and i think you get access to um the park outside of normal times but i believe the big thing is that you're rubbing elbows with the elite and that was it originally way back when disney was alive i don't know what the deal is now but i'm sure you know people very very important people hobnob there but I just, I'm a big Disney nerd having grown up, um, you know, being dragged around the, the Tokyo one. Um, it was my sister and I's favorite thing. We didn't, when we lived in Japan, we didn't have much money. We didn't do much. Um, but you know, there would be special days where foreigners would get, um, you know, in the eighties, Gaijin would get a discount day or we would get tickets through the American through a military base library or something so we could go. And so that was kind of like our big thing. Um, and so we would go and I just, I just loved it. Um, by the way, if in case you're wondering more about Disney stuff and before we go, um, there are two great, um, sort of, uh, Disney lore books. Um, they're called mouse tales, more mouse tales and more mouse tales. I'm looking them at them on the, uh, on the library shelf right now. And they, uh, it's just stories, you know, of quirky, weird things that have happened to Disneyland and why certain things are the way they are, like silly pranks that certain um, cast members have pulled over the years. And it's just fun. If you love Disney stuff, um, it's not something I've mentioned on the podcast, but I'm a massive Disney fan. Um, that's a f- those are fun books to read. Anyway, I'm getting way off topic. Guys. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. It has just been a pleasure to talk shop and uh, hear about games that we haven't talked about before. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Some of, 
what do I call my games? I call my games superior games, Brad. <laughs> Why is that? Is there better than well, these? Well, I think you just have this little deck box that you carry around instead of a big bag of figurines. So mm. it's much more convenient, much more efficient, much more compact. But you don't have lunch breaks. But it's, it, I, I'd call it an overall superior gaming experience. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to get into that one. Um, okay. Lee, do you want to get into that one or shall we wait till we no. hang up now? Okay. He's given up on that a long time ago. <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much for coming on, guys. Uh, it has always been a pleasure. And uh, you at home, thank you very much for listening. Uh, as always, this is... Uh, I guess podcasts don't cost money. Um, yeah. You don't. You don't have to pay to listen to this show, and I don't have a Patreon, and I'm not asking you to support. Um, I'm just glad that you have taken the time to listen because time is often, you know, uh, sometimes more precious than money for some of us these days. So thank you for taking the time to listen. Um, if you would like to leave feedback for the show, you can go to our Facebook page, which is Cast Dice C A S T D I C E. If you message the page, there's only one person who checks it. That's me. My name's Brad. Hi. Um, and guaranteed response every time. Um, I have to thank. There have been a lot of people sending me some pretty cool memes recently, um, which is great because with all the work, I haven't been able to search Facebook for all the fun memes. So um, it is great, um, as I do like to share one a day. Thank you guys um, for listening. And um, thank you. Wow. A hundred people have subscribed to the new YouTube channel. Um, we've had three games go up so far. We've had seven TV pulp. We've had star Wars Legion. And most recently we have had war cry, um, look for more games soon. Um, I have had to reorganize, uh, the office into a, a proper studio because it just wasn't working before. So, uh, there may be a week gap, but I'm hoping to do, um, YouTube videos like the podcast once a week. So, um, Coming up soon, more and more content. Um, and if you have ideas for that, again, please message the Facebook page. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, as our good friend Casey says, when you are playing the games that we love, no matter what they are, may your beverages stay cold. May your dice roll hot, or your cards in this case, flip hot. But more than anything else, when you are having playing these games with the folks that you love, please have fun. Good night.